for our sponsor, Dog Overboard Adamstown, the fun and healthy place for dogs. Pet Chat on your pet-friendly radio station, 2NURFM 103.7. Howdy, we are back. Yes, we're talking pets and it's all about your pets. So if you've got any questions today, we're here to help. 49216216. Cheryl Shaw, Dr Paul McCartney, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sarah. Paul, what are you chatting about later today? So we're going to talk about storms. Now, Cheryl Shaw, you said before that song that our topic today involves something to do with Queen and Bohemian Rhapsody. The words in that song, I want to know, does it have anything to do with these words? Oh, Sarah, you got it in one. (laughs) We're talking about pets being scared of storms. That's it. I get 10 points for that. 10 points. points. We've got Carolyn from Warrabrook on the line. Now, look, we are heading into snake season and you've got a question about snakes. Hello, Carolyn, what's your question? Yes, yes. If if one finds a snake in their garden, um, is it likely that the parents might be around or brothers and sisters? Sure. So it depends on the type of snake you've found. Black. Red belly, Red belly black. black. Okay, so you're probably near a waterway then? Uh, well, the a, wetlands are, are not too far away. Yeah, so belly blacks are generally around waterways, creeks, streams, those sorts of things. Um, and generally they're quite territorial. So um, in the breeding season, of course, they, they get together to, to mate and, 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 the, and the, the offspring are produced. Um, but they are, will be encouraged to move away from the area so that there's enough prey for the other, other snakes to feed on. So you generally won't get a large population in staying in the one spot once they've hatched. Right, so um, we're not close to the um, wetland area, uh, we're more up near the highway. Yep. Um, but um, I've, I've, you know, I've had a couple of them, uh, well more than the neighbours have as well, yeah. but um, I'm just wondering um, if they're likely to be more around. If you remove a snake from an area, often a snake will come back in to replace that snake. So oh. they, they, they can be quite territorial. So it's still it's still important if you are in a in a situation where you or your pets are at risk of snakes, um, have a chat to a snake handler to come and remove the snake for you. Um, but certainly they they can uh, re uh, repopulate an area if they do find that there's there's prey there and they can feed upon that prey. Mm, okay. All right. Oh, but okay. You, the, the thing is, are they sort of loners? Yeah. So so snakes don't live in colonies. No. No. Yeah, no, so okay. they're, they're generally individual feeders, really because the the, the prey um, is what drives snakes to an area. So if there's a large amount of mice or a large amount of, of wildlife that they can feed upon, you'll get a larger area of snakes mm. in that area. a large group in that area, but they're not a family. They're not they're not a collective group. But if you find mm. a bubba, usually the mum is around somewhere. Someone's laid that. Well, in, yeah. um, one that's maybe uh, five six inches long. Yep. There's likely to be a parent. That's correct, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's what I want to know. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to break um, the bad news. Yes, well, um, this little one doesn't exist any longer, but um, I, I assume that there might be parents around, so I just yeah. have to watch so, out. So just remember as well for all our listeners out there is that a lot of our native snakes are protected and that you're probably much better to try and get a handler to come and remove a snake than necessarily take the snake on yourself. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, no, I wouldn't do that. But um, on the spur of the moment, what do you do? Yeah, of course. Mm. If you've got that 
confronting yeah. you. All right, Carolyn. Well, look, okay, the thank best you. of luck with it. Thank you thank for the call. We always appreciate your questions here at Pet Chat. 49216216 is our number. Now, Cheryl, you gave us a great clue before. We were talking about Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody, Thunderbolts and Lightning. We're talking storms. Yeah. Look, those words really resonate with a lot of dogs. They can become so terrified when there's, you know, sort of um, this time of the year when we start getting our thunderstorms. Like last Friday, we had some really big rumblings. Oh, didn't and we? And I could hear the neighbourhood dogs barking. And, yeah, and they just get so really, really terrified. Sometimes they are so scared that they actually take off. They run. They just become so panicked and they will jump through windows. They'll actually injure themselves to get away. So it's really important that we understand what's going on. You know, dogs are a little bit like, uh, they're so very clever. A lot of dogs, I think, were around before Apple because they seem to have an inbuilt app weather detection. <laughs> they do. They know. They put the tail down and the head goes yeah. down before this. They can feel it in the air. That's they right. Can. The, often, they like often Phil feel the, the barometric drop. Yeah. We believe that's what, what they're Yeah, the barometric Yeah, we change. think so. And also the static electricity that's in, uh, around with storms because they can feel that as well, which is something that they say, you know, often will um, just make a dog change its behaviour. They're more reliable than the Bureau. I should get a dog in here yeah. and start telling the weather off the dog. <laughs> well, you could probably do that, sir, and you wouldn't have to, you know, get on the computer, just look at the dog's behaviour, <laughs> what's happening. <laughs> but their hearing is so acute as well, so they can hear those really low-frequency rumblings be- well before we even realise that's going to happen but you need to look at your dog you need to see what you know if there's any heightened anxiety and before the storm arrives so if you start to see your dog pacing or drooling maybe your dog's becoming really clingy with you it might start barking or howling you need to then set up a safe place for your dog so if you can see these things happening some dogs are happy to go into crates or just have somewhere that they feel secure often in you know some dogs will even go under beds and things Mm. like that but just setting up an area that they can go to before everything happens. One big problem that a lot of people make is they are scared of storms themselves. So they actually pick up, and particularly if it's a small toy breed dog, they'll pick up the dog and start to cuddle it. And they then put their own anxieties and fears into oh, the dog. Oh, okay. So, so remember when you were having trouble with Gizzy with the alarm going off oh, when you were cooking? When I was cooking, that was a nightmare. Yeah. Quite often people will then pick up the dog and that you know reinforces that behaviour. So sure. it's one of the things that you need to be very aware of if you are a little bit scared of storms to try and go about doing something else. You know, maybe invent a new game with the dog. Start doing something and, you know, put on the music, watch TV, but do something. Find your own happy place that you feel that you're not going to sort of put your fears and and that anxiety back onto your dog. Otherwise, you're going to be really feeding that. Um, It's, again... One of the things that we um, say is about, you know, putting the dog in a crate or something. If the dog is scared and it's locked away, it's less likely to do any damage. But Mm. you do need to be mindful that they will run if they're scared and obviously they can get hit by cars or end up kilometres away from home and displaced. The other thing, if if you do happen to find a dog that is... um, Uh, running or in a storm and you just think wow where's this dog come I don't know this dog it is a good idea to take it and give it some shelter just until the storm has passed 
I just saw a Facebook uh, post the other day and, and someone had put up there, it was during the big storm, I'm so sick of dogs turning up in my backyard, can you keep your dog in your yard? And I just thought, look, come on, let's be a little bit compassionate. The dogs obviously escape because it's terrified of the storm. So if you do come across that, you know, do the right thing. It might put you out a little bit, but can you mind yeah. the dog and contact, you know? Yeah, and, and, and we have them brought into the vet practice on a regular basis, so vets will also be able to take these animals in if they get in yeah, trouble okay. as well. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. great advice. And yeah. you know, another thing, with both Paul and I, we have dogs that turn up at our businesses when there's mm. a storm on. Because we've yeah. had this discussion previously. Really? It's like they know. They've they been there yeah. before. Yeah, because it's considered a safe place. So Paul has some that come up and, you know, yeah, he just knows dogs. to ring we the owners. We know the owners. We know that they're <laughs> That's amazing. often on speed dial. So <laughs> old Boris goes down the street and says, oi, you know. Yeah. We know Head where to they Dr. Paul, go That's to Cheryl, it. you'll be fine. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And Smart. I think this is really important that some dogs do know their own safe place. So, you know, try and invent a safe place for your dog if there's a storm. Put the dog in that place. I mean, these things, uh, you can't get rid of this um, behaviour, can you, Paul? So, certainly the way to try and prevent it is to try and do that desensitisation right as a puppy. Yes. So, um, as you spoke about body language, so showing normal, happy, safe body language around the dog during the storm being outside in the storm, doing normal behaviours. Um, so it's a bit tricky when you're getting wet, but trying to sort of show that being in the backyard while the storm's happening is still a very safe event. Yep. Um, once a storm phobia or a noise phobia has become part of a dog's um, life, though, they are very difficult to manage um, and always escalate. Yeah, yeah, this is a problem. And I know some people say, oh, you know, you play a storm music and, you know, you play very loud music, but that still doesn't take away those other elements like the barometric pressure yeah, and those so sort of things. So, um, so things that you can desensitise to, uh, like cars or people, are much easier because yes. they're predictable. You can organise a, a fake event so they can turn up um, at the right time. For storms, it's, it's very difficult for a storm tape, even video, to mimic what's actually happening during a storm event. So it is interesting to um, to really have the fact that the, the best way to try and deal with these situations is catch them early, provide them safe environments. And often what you think is a safe environment isn't what the dog thinks is a safe environment. So people who put their dogs in their bathrooms... Um, dogs rarely often go into a bathroom so if they're suddenly mm -hmm. thrust into a bathroom often the sound echoing off those tiles is worse than if they are somewhere else so just thinking, look where your dog wishes to go, so yes. I had a storm phobic Dalmatian her favourite spot was under the house so when the storm came, that's where she would try and get to, so what we did was we just made a nice safe spot under the house so yep. we removed some paddling away put a bed in there, she only went there when the storm came, but it meant that I knew where she was she felt safer um, I'd previously been putting her in the lounge room with us, but where she really wanted to be was under the house. Yeah, and this giving them that place to go to when you're not at home is really important because often storms will happen in the middle of the day. Absolutely. And you've got that real terrifying fear of where is my dog going to be mm. when I return home. That's right. Yeah, there are some other things that people say you can use to help settle them down, you know, um, different apparel that you can wear, but, you know, the the, um, the dogs that are really bad, these just don't help with it all. Yeah, if, if, you, if you start with those preventative measures like the Thunder Jackets um, and the new Zilkin, um, if you get that on before the dog's experiencing the fear, it will help. But you're right, if, if, if the fear has already began or they've actually learnt what a storm is about, then it can be difficult to find something that will take the edge off those animals. Mm. We often use medication in severe cases to try and manage that, but even that is just often um, preventing them from being able to run away 
um, it's important to talk to you a bit about what medication you are using because some of them just make them sedated so they can still hear and feel the fear mm. but they just can't escape it which mm. can even be worse. Worse, yeah. yeah. A thunder jacket. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're like a, a really tight vest oh. and so there is... Um, Actually, it, there's, there's proof to show that if you're wrapped tightly, um, you calm easy. Swaddling. So swaddling. It's swaddling. Yeah, yeah, it's swaddling yeah. for puppies and okay, dogs. Yeah. Um, I'll just put on one of my jackets from about five years ago. <laughs> that should be snug enough. be nice and tight, I think, Sarah. <laughs> I'll be as relaxed as anything. <laughs> They've also got thunder caps as well that, yes, uh, yeah. that help desensitise some of the, the sights. So they can still see through through the um, area of the, the cap, but just um, a, a little bit differently. We're going to talk more about storms because it's a, it's a big topic, it's an interesting topic, but we'll just go now to Rhonda, who's been really waiting patiently. Rhonda, we appreciate you waiting. From Adamstown Heights, you've got a problem with cats, Rhonda. Yes, I have um, two cats. Um, one is a pure ragdoll, um, very thin, almost a Siamese-type um, look to him, and the other one is uh, ragdoll slash... Uh, Persian. Now the ragdoll slash Persian is obviously the alpha, they're both males, both the sex, both five years old. He eats all the food and he is very overweight. Um, they both have had dental problems so I have them on a um, CD um, food, dry food from the vets. Um, oh, sorry, he, CD or TD? Uh, sorry, TD. Yep. TD. Um, from the vets they have that but the um, uh, the Pure ragdoll, he seems to be not eating as much, and the other one is way overweight. I can't feed them separately because the, um, the skinny one is just so finicky with his eating. He will come and eat and then go and come and go, so I have to leave food out, and they, I can't leave it anywhere that the other one can get to it. Is there a food that I can give them that will help me? Yeah, yeah no. I'd, lo I'd, I'd love to give you an easy fix for this one, but literally it will be the fact that you need to prevent the obese cat from getting to the food and easier access for the cat that needs to eat. So um, TD is quite a fattening food, so it is important that you're looking at the portion sizes you are providing. So it sounds like you do an ad-lib feeding so that the food's always available. Is that right? Yeah. yeah, and so what, what you may need to do is even provide separate areas of the house for half the day so that your ad-lib feeder, the, 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 the very hungry um, fat cat, um, it isn't allowed access during those times of a day, whereas the other cat's allowed an access to an area where the food's available. There isn't a food that's going to fix that one. There is a okay. new diet called Hill's uh, Metabolic, which is uh, trying to use epigenetics to control obesity in pets, but it's still going to come down to portion sizes. So when you, when you okay. are putting food out that's available all day, um, you, you, you are going to have that as a possibility. Yeah, okay. sorry about that I one, but, that but certainly, oh, okay. yeah, certainly, I, I would, particularly for the fact that diabetes in cats is often type two, which is related to to obesity. Um, really, be careful about overweight cats because you, you can okay. sadly ha end up with a diabetic cat if they do overeat. Now, we were just talking about storms before, Cheryl and Paul. That's our, our topic today. And Murray sent us an email. He, he said, I can't understand dogs are scared in storms when storms have been around for millions of years and so have dogs and wolves. Can yeah. you explain that? All right. So the thing with storms is that they're often associated with lightning. Lightning strikes cause fire. 
So there is a legitimate reason to be conscious of a lightning storm in that the risk of, of fire is, is often uh, associated very highly with that. So this probably is a coping mechanism that has been demonstrated. The thing to also remember is that we've changed how the dog has developed over time. Mm. We've created the dog more or less. Um, the dog of the wild is no, no longer phenotypically or looking like the dog that we now have in, in our domestic lives. So in combination with those physical changes, we've created mental changes. And in part of that, we've created neuroses and phobias and fears um, because of often selective breeding. Mm. And so it is important to remember that the, there will have initially been an evolutionary reason to be fearful of a storm, um, but they can be exacerbated. So if you breed two anxious dogs together, you're more likely to carry that gene forward and then you can often multiply that gene in that dog as well. So you're, you're getting a, a, a more exaggerated response if you breed two storm-phobic dogs together um, sometimes. Some really interesting stuff. Taking your calls, 49216216. Hello, Robert Bluehaven. Welcome to Pet Chat. Uh, tick and flea control, you after some advice for a five-month-old pup. Yes, a standard poodle. Oh, um, well done. Yeah. <laughs> Cheryl loves Rob all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, you're a beautiful animal. Um, um, he hasn't been shorn yet or anything like that, but um, I'm just concerned about the area I live in is um, fairly bushy and uh, just wanted something to put on him. Sure. So um, certainly there are lots of products on the market. Now, they can either be used topically as a collar or the newer, newer um, medications are oral. So depending on how you wish to treat, there are different products available for you. Certainly the newer ones, Brevecto and Nexgard, are probably the, the leading market Oh, sorry, the market leaders in tick control at the moment. Um, Provecto is a three-month control and, and NextGuard is a monthly control. And they'll both do flea and tick for you orally. If you prefer to give a topical, there are other, other ones for that. Just make sure when you do look at your topicals, not all of them will cover tick. And the frequency at which you're treating for ticks with a topical is generally, as a rule, half the time that it would be covering for fleas. So just make yep. sure each product you're using has that. But I, I personally use an oral, um, and I, I, I've had, fortunately, no, no tick or flea issues since starting those products. And what did you say for oral? Uh, so the two brands generally are Brevecto or Nexgard. Okay, Rob, thank you very much for the call today. Uh, before we get to Rose, uh, Murray, who uh, sent us an email asking about dogs and while they're scared of storms when they've both been around for millions of years, he says, thanks for that. Oh, no It's obviously made sense. I, di I didn't think of that either, so some good things there. Now, <laughs> who have we got on the line? Rose from Bonnells Bay. Hello. Hello. You would like to make a comment about snakes? Yes, my friend lives um, near a swamp area at Dora Creek. And uh, she usually throws buckets of water on them or hoses them and they don't come back um, because you can't kill them. They're protected. Correct, yeah. And um, we saw a four-foot one the other day, but it was going next door, so um, we didn't do anything about that. <laughs> you passed <laughs> the bucket over the fence. So on that one. Yeah. <laughs> but the school up the road, the primary school, they have the solar... Um, protection in the ground for the oh, yes. pupils. Yep. Um, that sounds out a uh, sends a out a, a sound yeah. wave or something. Yeah. So that's another um, thing she might be able to do. Yeah. To keep I, I, the snakes away. <laughs> look, I, I have had 
both positive and negative feedback on those snake preventions. But, but to be honest, if it, yeah. if it prevents one snake, then that's one less snake, which is good. Mm. Um, yeah. I, I would encourage people to be very cautious about challenging a snake with a fear response. Um, yes. So the red belly snake is more likely to run away from you, sorry, slither away from you. The, yeah. the brown snake is more likely to turn and try to strike. So, so, yeah. so pick your battles. Um, and look, and I'll be honest, I think for everybody, you're, you're better to avoid a snake and call somebody than to challenge a snake. Um, yes. is, is they, they, they can be very, very quick. The browns in particular during the mating season are very aggressive um, yes. and, and they both contain venom. So, yeah, be very cautious about, about using a, a fear response or a, you're even That's better right. sometimes to just make very loud noises. Snakes yeah. really hate loud noises. So, oh, put um, on ACDs. Yeah, okay. yeah. So if you, if you can bang some saucepans or, or, or make loud noises, um, you right. be, be better oh. to sort of scare a snake away with that sort of a thing when you are to sort of physically try and, um, yeah. and do something to, to the snake themselves. Because you're getting pretty yeah. close to throw a bucket of water and I'd be nervous if, oh. you, if you do that <laughs> with, a, with the wrong snake, <laughs> you're in trouble. <laughs> She's up on a high veranda, so she, oh, she drops it, it over the edge. <laughs> She's not that near it. Smart lady. One did try to get up the veranda through the ladder, so she had to throw something on it before yeah. it got up to her. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what that is. Yeah, snakes are usually more scared of yeah. us than we are of them. So if you can make yeah. a loud noise and announce your presence, most snakes will go the other direction. Yeah. Okay, then. Thanks, Thank Rose. you very much. Okay. Like there's a lot of snakes in It's the right time of year, remember, snakes are out. I know. <laughs> well, she mentioned from the start that she lived in a swampy area. So, oh. red belly back snakes, that's their feeding ground, that's their Disneyland. So, yeah, they'll be around those areas. I'm safe with my toddler. He's that noisy. There's no way. <laughs> I didn't realise that that was a deterrent. That's fantastic. Well, I hope it is. My grandfather taught me that when we grew up. He said, when you walk through the bush, walk loudly. Yeah, they do say that, don't mm. they? And do a clap or yeah, know. yeah. Hmm. Vibrations. Yeah, mm. there you go. Betty from Bonnells Bay, you've got a funny story about storms for us. Yes, I had a, a, it's a little toy poodle, King Charles Spaniel, and every time the storm come on, he'd race out the back barking and trying to catch it. Oh <laughs> yeah! What he's actually trying to do is bark the storm away. So when, when you're li- when you're little and something big scary comes at you and you can't yeah. fight it off, you bark it away. Uh, I, I think really what it was mostly is we used to live and there was a fellow at the back who had a motorbike and every time he heard that motorbike, he'd go off too. Yeah, again, he, want, he was trying to scare, <laughs> scare the big bad motorbike away. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Uh, the poor little thing, you know. I haven't got him now, unfortunately. Oh. But, you know, but it, you know, he was such beautiful little things. He was. They're yeah. great memories, aren't they? Yeah. Lots of dogs, when they are nervous, will either do the running, as Cheryl mentioned before, or they do the barking, which yep. is that fear response. I'm, I'm going to try and scare what's scaring me away. Which um, is the fight or flight. That's know, exactly that, right, yeah. yeah. And, and, and that in itself is, is a panic attack. The, the dog is, can't control that. So mm. people who sort of yell at their dogs barking at storms, they're sadly only throwing petrol on that yeah. fire. It's so, like when our frontal lobe detaches and we're no longer in control that's of it. our, yeah, it's our a, it's, emotions. It's a survival response. Mm, okay. um, and they can't hear you or really understand what you're yelling at them. So you're, you're far better to just redirect the dog to an area where they feel safe and to try and yell at the dog for barking. 
We've been talking about storms and, Paul, I guess a big one is um, to not discipline our dogs, as you were mentioning before, if they are barking or yeah. reacting to the storm because they are terrified at the That's time right. and not in so control. They, they are really having a panic attack. And so um, it is very frustrating to have that dog barking or running or you know chasing around the house and not being able to settle. But just remembering that really what they are trying to do is stay safe. And so if we can try and reassure them that we're safe, um, the, the question about reinforcement is a, is a big one, as Cheryl mentioned before. So initially, you're better to ignore that pacing behaviour and not encourage that with, it'll all be okay, it'll all be okay. Um, you're far better to just try and ignore that and, and let the dog self-settle and only really step in if you're really in that panic mode. Okay. We're going to go to Roger now. Uh, Roger, you've got a question about a rescue dog. Yes, love. Um... It, it absolutely idolises me and it follows me in like a bad smell. But when I get up in the morning, it, it cowers and it wheezes itself. Yeah. Now, I had assumed that from whoever had it before, it was a man that ill-treated this dog. So it'll go to my wife, no pee whatsoever. But, you know, is this going to get, uh, sort of go out in time? Or yeah. You... How old is your rescue dog, Roger? I reckon he's around three to four. All right. So, disappointingly, we have missed some of the opportunities to reverse that behaviour completely by this age. It is probable that there has been a fearful event, as you've mentioned, and that fearful event may have been initiated by a man. The, the response that's happening is, that is, is definitely fear, so you, you, you're correct in that one. The issue you have, though, with a rescue dog is we don't know what that event was. We don't know how often that occurred or the severity of the event that did occur as to how much scarring that will have caused the, the dog psychologically. The, the best thing for you to do, though, is to um, try as, as best you can to present yourself as a small quiet person so when you're first getting up out of the bed even have some treats next to the table that you may throw him from the bed so what you're doing is you're already linking you moving and you getting up with a positive response and the more positivity you can link to yourself in that regards as as a movement event will try and decrease that fear response he's currently getting because generally it's movement that's going to cause it so when you're sitting still somewhere or when you've been in bed there's less fear associated with that but um, it's really important to try and keep that calm behaviour um, even from a distance even if you have that treat next to the bed before you get up you're going to throw a treat for him praise him for that good behaviour and then make your movements Okay, thank you very much for that. No problems. Good mm. luck. Thanks, Roger. It's funny, Roger mentions that um, my little Maltese follows me quite a lot. And last night I had two sick kids in two separate beds, husband away. So I think I did about nine changes throughout the night <laughs> because when one woke, I'd go to that one. And then lo and behold, a couple of minutes later, he would be Gizzy. And yeah. of course, he can't jump up on the bed anymore. So by the end, I would just grab Gizzy. I'm like, come on, mate, we're off again. So yeah. it was it was a lot of bed hopping for the family last night. But they do, they get extremely attached. Yeah. And, and particularly in this situation where there has been possibly a bad event, that pacing and following that gentleman around the house is just trying to make sure that he's safe at all times. Mm, okay. Yeah. Uh, we've got time for one more call if you want to get in quickly. 49216216 is our number. Now, we've been talking about storms. Um, Dr Paul, what's sort of the the general uh, rule? Uh, we had a caller that didn't want to go to air, but mm -hmm. basically they saw a dog get hit by a car. Uh, They've taken the dog 
to the vet. Unfortunately, the dog had passed. Yep. Um, but they were still charged by by the veterinarian. Is that oh, is that normal practice, or how does not, that not usually as, work? So they weren't the owners of the dog. They, they were not. They found the dog. No, that would be very unusual. I would think. Um, we see not what our practice does. Um, we we thank the clients for bringing in that that dog or, or cat because it means you've got to scan the microchip, microchip and identify yes. the owners, let them know what's happened. There's nothing worse than we are always wondering where where your dog went or where oh, your cat absolutely. went. Absolutely. Um, so no, that 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 certainly wouldn't be general practice. I'm I'm disappointed that that happened to those those people. Okay. Yeah. Well, hopefully that's given you an answer to, to the people yeah. that are listening. Okay, June, you've got a problem with your dog. Yes, I have. Hi. Um, little old Maltese, 16 years old, crossed with a sheep too, a bad heart, nearly blind, nearly deaf, and chucking bits of willies now that the vet said will increase until it knocks him out completely. But he took one when he was walking past me today, and he sort of sat back in a startled uh, way and, and looked at me as though I'd done something to him. And he won't come near me now, and that's breaking my heart at the Aww. end of his life. <laughs> yeah, sure. So so what's happened after the seizure event is that the dog is in what's called the post-ictal period. Now, right. that post-ictal period is a, is a period of time of disorientation, and that can last several hours after an event. So this, this is unlikely to be a permanent change, but more likely that your dog is in that phase of its seizure event, which is where it isn't quite sure what's happening or why it's happening. Now, you can um, talk to your veterinarian in that if seizures are occurring on a very regular basis and we're getting this confusion period afterwards, there is medication you can use to try and help control both the likelihood of the seizure occurring and also to try and alleviate that post-seizure confusion time as well. Oh, good. Okay. Well, he, he was a rescue dog from the RSPCA. Would they have that sort of advanced medication? Oh, of course. The RSPCA is, yeah. a, is, is, a, is a fully functioning veterinary hospital. They'll be able to help you out. Yeah, terrific. All right, I'll do that. Thanks oh, so much. June, good no luck. Problems. Good luck. Oh, that story brought tears to my eyes, actually. <laughs> yeah. Why, why do they have to get old? I know. Oh, it's just not fair. Uh, we are talking pet chat. We've got time for one last call. Let's go to Isabella. You've got a problem with your one-year-old dog. Oh, sorry, no. Isabella. Go. You're right. He turned one yesterday. Um, my husband is his best mate. Now, I ha we have done everything. We've taken him to every vet. They can't tell us what's wrong. I just want our little man to be able to go out to the dog parks like the rest of our dogs and stuff like that. And he's terrified of people. Um, other dogs are fine. Cats, <laughs> But when he meets new people, he barks around in a circle around them. He even, he'll go to the toilet out of fear and yeah. do a wee. And I have no idea what's happened. Okay. So I, I, I always sort of start these conversations with not all people are the same and not all dogs are the same. So it, it may be, Isabella, that that this dog isn't one of those party dogs that can go to the park and, and, and have a great time. Um, this may be one of these dogs that just needs to have its own space. And so expectations that are realistic are important to have for any of those, those circumstances. This is a, a, a big question in a, in a short time period, but what I, I would suggest to you is to talk to your local veterinarian about using desensitisation and maybe even some um, antidepressant medication to help the learning process and engage a trainer one-to-one -one that may be able to help you with some um, 
practices that you could use that will help to reduce the fear of exposure? Okay, cool. Thank you very much. I'll give you I'm sorry, yeah, a very big, very big problem in a very short time. Yeah, sorry, Isabella, we are running out of time very quickly and, in fact, I think that's just about all we've got time for. But, of course, Isabella can call, um, you, you know, leave your number if you'd like and we can of course, give yeah, you a call Of course, yeah, she has further questions I can answer those for her, sure. Fantastic. That is all we've got time for. Cheryl Shaw, Dr Paul McCarthy, thank you both so much for coming thank in you. today. Very interesting one today on Storms. Yeah, yeah, and you did so well to pick that, Sarah. Oh, <laughs> I know. I know. I'm pretty good like that. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>